Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning how to balance our hormones, getting the most effective tips for improving our sleep, or finding out exactly how to get the careers of our dreams. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. I am so excited to welcome Victoria Brown to the podcast for the newest edition of our How I Learned to Love My Body series, where I interview some of the world's most inspiring women on their ongoing and evolving relationships with their bodies. I very intentionally chose the word love for this series because I think that love is a complex relationship with harder days and easier days and everything in between, and this series reflects those complexities. If you want to listen to other episodes in the series, I'll put some links in the show notes. We have one with Mega Babe founder Katie Serino. We have one with Sports Illustrated model Hunter McGrady and many, many more. Victoria is the founder and CEO of mental health nonprofit The Hidden Opponent and host of the popular podcast RealPod. She has amassed a following of over 1.5 million across social media platforms, and she's been featured in publications like The New York Times, People, E! News, and more. She is incredibly open and honest and raw, and I absolutely loved our conversation today. We get into Victoria's personal journey from her eating disorder to being a D1 athlete to sharing her body on social media, the subtle ways that our childhood can impact our relationship with our bodies, how being an athlete changed Victoria's relationship with her body, the best way to communicate with your partner about body image issues, how to feel sexier in your body, how to walk into every single room with more confidence, tips for starting an intuitive eating journey, a first step for starting to heal your relationship with food today, and so much more. I would love to hear your thoughts and your biggest takeaways as you're listening to the episode, so definitely screenshot and tag me. I am at Liz Moody and tag Victoria. She is at Victoria Brown with an E on the end on Instagram. Victoria also interviewed me on her podcast, which is called Real Pod. It's out today. So if you want to go listen to that, you can search Real Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. I went really deep on my personal journey, on my relationship with my own body, and I shared some of the wellness advice that's changed my life. So I cannot wait to hear what you think of that episode. Again, you can find that by searching Real Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. If something resonates with you from this episode, please share it with somebody that you think would benefit as well. This is a super chatty episode that I hope will feel just like you're having a drink with friends, but it is also so inspiring to hear Victoria's journey, which again, she's just so raw and open and honest about. Thank you so much for continuing to share the podcast with friends and family members and coworkers. All of the growth that we've seen with this podcast is all because of you sharing the episodes, and I appreciate you so, so much for it. I do want to add a quick warning, given that we will be discussing topics that relate to body image and eating disorders. If this is not a conversation that's going to feel good for you to listen to at this time, I totally get it. This might be an episode for you to skip right now. Okay, let's get right into it with Victoria Brown. I walked into this late. You walked into this interview late. I said I'm trying to work on not being late anymore, and you said you had thoughts on that. So tell me your thoughts. Okay. 
I have so many thoughts because you said it's rude to be late. It's like respecting people's time, which I totally vibe with that. And I felt that way for a really long time. If my friend were a minute late, I'd be like visibly angry. Like, how could you be late for me? Respect my time. And then when I was a college athlete, I always had to be on time. And if you were a minute late, there was a running penalty at 6 a.m. in the next morning. A running penalty? By that, you mean you literally had to run? I literally mean if you showed up at 3.01 and practice was at 3, no excuse is good enough. Everyone was running at 6 a.m. the next morning. There's a lot of reasons I could not be a college athlete, but that is, <laughs> we will add that to the list. You know, the list on yeah. TikTok of like the reasons not to have children and it's added to the list yeah. and it's all these things. That's like my running list. Oh of my reasons. God, that's funny. I could not have been a college athlete. Okay, carry so on. So lots of anxiety from that, right? I'm always checking my watch, always concerned. So graduating college, I did come out with even an extra heightened. I always need to be on time. And then as I got more into my philosophical, meditative, flowy state of life, I've had to check myself on what's the urgency? What is my sense of urgency in every situation that I feel like we have to be on time? It's like I have life in this chokehold. If someone's late, I get 10 minutes to be with myself or reflect or do something I maybe didn't have time for. And then I read this book by Eckhart Tolle. He doesn't believe in waiting. He thinks waiting doesn't align with the pursuit of the present moment. Because if you're waiting, you're not being present because you're believing that someone needs to come and arrive or something needs to happen for you to have permission to keep going in your life. Ever since I read that, I just think about when I'm waiting for someone, I have time there to breathe, to think about my thoughts. I have permission to keep going in my life and not act like it has to stop until they arrive. And the last little part of it is just grace. Like, I left on time this morning. You left on time this morning. There was traffic we didn't know about. There are some people who, yeah, they're not respectful people, and I think you can sniff that out. But for the most part, I so appreciate when someone gives me grace. It's okay. Don't stress about it that I want to give that grace to other people. I think there's something greater there, too, about just assuming positive intentions generally in life. If somebody's late, it's probably not because they don't respect you. Although, again, we do know those people. For me, when I'm late, it's because I'm terrible at time management. I think I can fit in 45 things into an hour, and I never can. I can fit like three things into an hour. I have an abundance mindset with time that doesn't align with clock time. And there are moments that you need to show up on time for people, and you need to be there when I'm late, my energy can be affected if I'm scattered or I'm frantic. So of course, we all want to aim to be on time. I guess when I said I had a lot to say about it, it's how I've grown so much from letting time and the schedule control me to just being like, at this point, I'm going to get there when I get there. I didn't know about the construction versus sitting in the car like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. I feel like that in general with car stuff, when people get so built up in the car or they have road rage or things like that. My husband doesn't have road rage, but he's definitely the more angry driver than I am. And I'm just like, it's not going to change anything. I'm not normally good at letting go of things, but in the car, I'm just like, this isn't going to change any outcome. So why are we wasting our energy in this way? I completely agree. I feel bad or compassion for people who have that because today I was in a lane that was standstill and there was a lane to my right. And I was like, oh, I'll go in lane to my right. Someone's probably trying to take a left. I get in the lane to my right. I realize it's a right turn only. I need to go straight. So I get back into my lane. Car behind me honks. Okay. So we're going to get into a lot of your (laughs) life. We're going to get into a lot of your journey and your relationship with your body. But I want to start first with the all-important question. What is your favorite Taylor Swift song and why? (laughs) Liz, thank you for giving me this gift of this question. 
it is so hard for me to pick my favorite, but I did have one come to mind immediately. You Belong With Me from Fearless, a classic. I just remember the first time I heard that song in the summer, and I'm also a hopeless romantic, and I love love, and just this idea of this girl who loves her neighbor and their friends, and he's got this mean girlfriend, and she just wants to be seen. The whole thing was done so well. The bridge of that song, I remember you. It is so emotional. That song, it just reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me why I fell in love with Taylor Swift. So that is one of my all-time favorites. What do you think it is about Taylor Swift? I have theories on why she's transcended normal pop star status, I think, at this point. What do you think it is about her that resonates so deeply? I can only speak for myself, but somehow every single album, I resonate with it in my life. I love her music. I feel so connected to it. I think it's genius. I think she's so wildly talented. I think she's such an artist. She's more than just someone who gets a hit song written for her and does it the way that everyone's done it before. For me, growing up, she just really symbolized this idea of romance and dreaming and love and it just really hit with me. And then as I grew up, I was going through a time in life where I didn't feel liked by people and I didn't feel accepted. And she released Reputation. That hit for me. And I was like, yes, I feel the same way as you. And then she released Lover. And literally Lover is like three summers now. I want them all. I'd been with Max for three summers. Anti-hero. It's as if she pulled it from my brain. And I know there's so many people that feel that way too. I've just always connected with her. I don't fangirl over a lot of people. I think a lot of people are badass. I respect a lot of people. I don't feel the way I feel about a person I've never met or a celebrity the way that I do towards Taylor Swift. She's one of the only ones I think I wouldn't be okay if I met them. I mean, I'd be cool because I'd be like, okay, here's the things we have in common. Here's my case for why we should be best friends. And I've prepared all of that. But I would have a harder time with her than many celebrities who I've managed to be like, I've met enough of them. We're normal people. Like, they all poop and do all of the stuff that the rest of us do. I know she poops, but it's, I don't know. (laughs) I'm always like, what does she do every day? I want to know that. I do too. And she's so private about it. I'm so curious. I want a day in her life that doesn't include songwriting or working on music. What do you do in the morning? What time do you like to wake up? What's your morning routine? We don't know anything. And that's why also she's transcended is she's so unreachable, but then she's so relatable when you do hear from her. That's My theory, one of my theories, she has a lot of things going for her, but one of the things she does so well is she expresses our deepest insecurities and these things that you feel shame when you talk about, like, all I do is try, 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 all of these things that you're just like, I'm not supposed to try, I'm supposed to be effortless, and she's that kid who acknowledges all these thoughts we're all thinking but she's also immensely successful and immensely talented, so If she has these icky, shameful parts of herself and can achieve what she's achieved, maybe I can love the icky, shameful parts of myself, too. That's my theory. I completely agree. Let's talk about your body. This is a series I like to do, which is called How I Learned to Love My Body. And I love the word love for this series because I think that love is a really complicated relationship. Love has ups and downs and complexities. And so I really like to use the word how I learned to love my body. I would love to hear your sort of first feelings of negativity you ever had towards your body. I'm excited to dive into this today with you because I feel like my body and my relationship with my body was a big part of my content 
in 2020, 2021. And then I really feel like in 2022, I've geared away from it and we can get into that. I remember becoming aware of my body and what it was supposed to look like at a young age, 11, 12. But the first time I ever remember crying over my body was when I really wanted to order these shorts from American Apparel. I don't think it's in business. And I had my mom measure me. You get the measuring tape and you get measured. We don't know what we're doing. And she measured around my butt for the part that was supposed to be around my waist. So we had a size incrementally larger that I typed in as opposed to what the measurement was actually for. So when I went to order the shorts, I was going to like the most big size that they had. I just remember feeling not good enough. You had all these messages about supposed to be a size small, supposed to be a size medium. I grew up playing sports. It's time to get your shirt for practice. What size are you? I'm a small. I'm a small. Raise your hand if you're a medium. I never wanted to be a large because you have all these messages from society telling you you want to be smaller. So when I ordered these shorts in an XL, I just remember crying to my mom like I have to order these shorts. Of course, she's so sweet. It's okay. It's okay. Then the shorts come. They don't even stay up because they're so big. And so now it's this joke between me and my mom. Like, oh, my God, remember when I traumatized you when you were like a little girl? But that's the first time I remember feeling not good about my body. It's so interesting with the athlete dynamic because a huge refrain of mine for my body and something that I love to talk about with my community is that your body is for living, not looking. Your body is for the experiences that you have in it. It's one of my life mottos. And it's really helped me in those moments where I'm like, should I wear the swimsuit on the beach? And it's like, I'm wearing the swimsuit on the beach so I can go play in the ocean, not so that I can be on display for other people. And I would think as an athlete, again, I'm not an athlete, that you would really internalize what your body can do for you rather than how your body looks. Did you not have that experience or what was that like for you? You would think, (laughs) but growing up, athlete or not athlete, we're all receiving the same messages. The brainwashing or the conditioning that you experienced and other women did of what they were supposed to look like, we saw those same commercials. We flipped through those same magazines. Yes, we are playing sports, but No, there wasn't messaging that said, oh, but if you're an athlete and your body's being used in a certain way, that wasn't the message. That's a message we're seeing now, which is great. But no, we had the same messaging, which I thought made it slightly more difficult personally because I'm in an environment where my body is literally being moved every day to increase in size and increase in strength. And I'm expected to look like I could walk the Victoria's Secret fashion show. But they don't have quads like me. They don't have calves like me. That's why I didn't feel like I had this understanding of my body being an instrument as opposed to an ornament. Did that extend beyond your body? How important was the notion of being beautiful generally to you? It was everything. I always wanted to be regarded as really pretty. I always wanted to be someone at school that the boys liked. This idea that the most important thing about a woman is how she looks, I felt that. And I don't know if it was ever explicitly said to me, but it was communicated in reading the Twilight books. And there's a full page spread on Rosalie. She was regarded as the most beautiful. Like, you know, there's always in every movie, there's Megan Fox and Transformers. There's that it girl who everyone wants to be and all the guys like. Then, yeah, in your life, you're thinking, I want to be the it girl. I want to be that person. I cared a lot about being attractive to men. I cared a lot about how I looked in comparison to 
the girls that I knew. And I'm coming from a place of privilege. I'm coming from a place of thin privilege. I'm coming from a place of pretty privilege. I look closer to this beauty standard. The whole thing is just insane because if I struggled to the extent that I did with that privilege, let's think about all the other people who can't even be put in the outside of that box that society's written. What is your approach to beauty now? What place does beauty have in your life? I'm trying to figure it out. I like to feel pretty and confident. It's shifted from doing that for other people. I'm starting to fall in love with makeup. I love makeup. I love getting my hair done. I love all that stuff. But I also love when I have no makeup on and I love when my hair's a mess and I love being in sweats. I can show up for myself with or without the accessories, with or without those touches. As long as I have that in my core, then I'm at a good place because when I was younger, I couldn't feel beautiful or pretty unless there was a certain number on the scale or unless my hair and makeup was done a certain way. And now I have the confidence in myself and an understanding of self-worth that I genuinely would go anywhere without makeup on. What place does makeup have then? What is the time you would wear makeup? Why are you putting it on? I think it is so fun. I love arts and crafts and I loved painting and I loved drawing and coloring. It's just self-care. I used to love and paint my nails when I was young. I used to love and sit in the mirror and pop my pimples and tweeze my eyebrows and do my face. Now I love having all these different blushes and these different eyeshadows and getting to paint and put a lot on. And it's just therapeutic. For me, it's like arts and crafts time. Has being married changed that at all for you? I feel like I'd be lying if I said that had no impact Of course, having this unconditional love from my husband, Max, no matter how I show up, how my body looks, that he loves me, that's huge. And I don't know where I would be at in this journey had I not had that support. I want to call that for what it is. I will say, I would never say Max was in there with every up and down of my eating disorder or every this and that with body image. No, he wasn't telling me you're beautiful the way you are. I did a lot of this work myself or with counselors or friends. But yes, I know in my mind that I have this man who loves me and he's never pressured me to look a certain way or be done up. Of course, I think that has an impact. I have that in my brain. Maybe it's subconsciously that stability. But he hasn't been this mega force pulling me to do the work I've done on myself. Does that make sense? What was his place? You were primarily engaged in your eating disorder in college, right? Yes. You guys were in a relationship at that point. Were you open with him about what you were going through? In the beginning, I wasn't. I was a binge eater. And I like vividly remember this time Max had me over for a movie and we went to the gas station to get food and we got like a little pint of Ben and Jerry's. And I just remember sitting there the whole movie thinking, oh my God, I just want to devour this whole pint of Ben and Jerry's. It's like this compulsion to eat and feeling like I can't, Max is here. Or I feel like not eating a lot in front of him and then I'd go home and I'd eat a lot in secrecy. So I remember when I first told him about everything and it was late at night in his bedroom and I just tried to explain what my problem was. I don't think he really understood it. I think it's hard to understand that unless you've experienced it. But he's always just so chill and so non-judgmental. He then became aware, but like I said, wasn't in the weeds with me. 
Do you have any advice for somebody who is kind of struggling to open up to their partner? I think there's the eating side of it, but then there's also, I'm nervous about going to the beach because I'm uncomfortable and how my body looks right now. There's the insecurity part and then there's the eating disorder part and all of this kind of stuff combined. Do you have any advice for somebody who's struggling to talk to their partner about that? Communication in a relationship, whether it is about this or it's not, is so important. Max and I never expect each other to be mind readers. And I think that can go down a slippery path as if you want them to read your mind. I hate to stereotype my gender, but I'm about to do it. Guys can be just so stupid. And they're not going to see that you have 30 outfits spread over the room and it's taken you 20 minutes to get ready and just assume it's a bad body image night. They don't freaking get it. They're just like, ready to go, babe? They have no idea. Some nights I need to be honest with Max about how I feel. For me, that looks like... I don't feel good about myself today. I'm just letting you know, and I need your support. Or I need your love, or I need you to just distract me or make jokes. It's important to communicate to your partner how you're feeling and then what you need from them because they don't know. And it's a big step to just say, hey, I'm struggling with food or I'm struggling with my body. But then is the how. How can they support you? Because that's what they're thinking. And Max knows that the way he can support me most of the time is by saying and doing nothing and having no judgment because that's so important for me. I want to show up authentically in the space. An example is over New Year's and the holiday, I felt like I was eating more than I was hungry for and I wasn't listening for my body. And I think there was some emotional component in there. I have this scarcity mindset around food when I go out of town, especially when I'm staying at his family's house or something. I'm always like, am I going to have enough to eat? And I was overeating as a result anytime there was food. Then I felt that in my body, in my jeans after week one of the trip. And I shared with him, that's how I'm feeling, just so that it wasn't alone in my head when we keep these things to ourselves, And we're like, oh my God, I think my jeans are tight and I'm overeating and I'm this. And then we don't say anything. That shame, it just builds and builds. And then you feel like you go down the spiral. So I knew I had to let him in, let someone in. And so I just said, I'm feeling not super confident in my body. I'm feeling like I haven't been listening to myself and I'm not confident. And I don't really want you to do anything about it. I just want you to know that that's how I feel. And he's like, okay. I felt better him knowing that, but he's not now at the next meal being like, babe, are you sure you want to get dessert? Because you told me you weren't feeling good. No, he's not saying that. And he might not do that naturally, but that could also be something to communicate to a partner is like, here's the place I want you to have. Here's the things I actually specifically don't want you to say. Correct. And I told him, explicitly, I want you to say nothing. I said, I never want you to make a comment on anything I'm eating at any time. Not even, oh, you're grabbing another snack. Even if it has no malicious intent, I don't want to comment. And I've had to express that to him as that is what I need to feel safe in this relationship. I know my relationship with food. I know when I'm eating, why I'm eating. I have self-awareness. I don't want or welcome someone else's judgment or opinions. And it's important to say that because I could understand how someone would say, wait, you just cried to me and told me you feel like you're not listening to your body. And then we just had ice cream and now you want more ice cream. I thought I was helping you. Genuinely, they could feel that way. So you have to tell them, no, I don't want any of that commentary. I'm just letting you in on my feelings so I feel less alone. That's all that I needed from that conversation. I'm super open with him about that. And actually recently... He had made this random joke about food, which was so weird to me because he hasn't done that in a long time. It's never funny to me. It always hits for me. I was like, okay, that was weird, but it's been like once in five years. I'm not going to say anything about it. And then another joke happened in like the next month. Then I said to him, I was like, babe, 
you've made two random, super casual comments about food. I know you're not thinking twice. It just can't happen. It makes me feel unsafe. It makes me question what I'm eating. It makes me question what I'm eating in front of you. Those thoughts are going to send signals to the other bad thoughts and open the portal. I can't have that. And he's like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, it's not that serious. I'm like, no, it is serious. You literally cannot make another comment like this. I think even that line unto itself, acknowledging that something that's not that serious for you can be incredibly serious for other people is such a huge thing in relationships. Often we're like, it can't matter that much. Why are you being like this or whatever? But we live in different realities and different things matter to us of different importance. And just because it doesn't matter to me with that importance, I can respect the importance with which it matters to you. And one of these instances was when we had just had in and out for dinner and then I really wanted Krispy Kremes. I was craving Krispy Kremes. And first of all, I recognize the privilege of wanting a food and then being able to get the food. That's not everyone's situation. I really wanted them. And I'm not going to ask my husband permission for what I can and cannot eat. So I go ahead and I order them. After I order them and they're on their way with Postmates and he's sitting on the couch, I'm thinking, oh my God, these donuts are going to arrive. And he's going to be like, did you order Krispy Kremes after we had In-N-Out? And I'm starting to spiral with judgment and, okay, I should hide the Krispy Kremes or I should pretend. And that's my binge eating voice sneaking back in of shame around food, shame around food. I'm allowed to have In-N-Out and Krispy Kremes for dessert. I'm allowed to do that. So I literally had to like pause the show and I was like, babe. And he was like, what? And I was like, I ordered donuts. And he was like, that's okay. That's okay. And I was like, I don't know why my heart's pounding and I'm just feeling like you're going to judge me that I want these donuts for dessert. And for him, he's like, that's not that serious. Like you just want a donut. For me, that's everything because that situation could spiral a binge, just to your point of some things that don't seem that serious to someone else are serious to the person considering the history or trauma they have in a situation. Yeah, I think communicating the thing you're communicating and then almost like a communicating on a scale how serious it is is the second part of the communication that a lot of us miss, which to that point, you're communicating to him what you need in all of these situations. But to be able to do that, you need to know what you need. So how did you start to learn what was helpful to you in healing this relationship with your body and with food? I reflected on my disordered eating patterns and what was triggering for me. And I realized that the judgment of other people about what I'm eating is really big for me. Growing up, our kitchen was an open floor plan. And if I went to get a snack, it's like my mom would see, my dad would see, everyone would see. And I would worry about that comment of, we just ate, you're hungry again. Those little things really are hard for me to swallow. I recognized, okay, if I want to have a healthy relationship with food, my home needs to be judgment-free. I need to know I can grab any snack at any portion from our pantry and know that you're not going to give me an eye and you're not going to make a comment. For me to feel safe, that's what I had to do. Boundaries are amazing. When we think about boundaries, we think about a wall. You're building a wall, and no one wants to build a wall between themselves and their partner. You feel like that should be the most all-consuming relationship. You're fluid, but a boundary isn't a wall. It's communicating what you need to feel safe. It's this circle of trust, you and your partner, 
you're communicating, hey, I'm going to put a boundary here because in order for me to feel safe and like I can show up as myself 100% of the time in this relationship, I'm going to need you never to make a comment about what I'm eating. And that's how I'm going to feel safe here. When we talk about boundaries, I don't want people to tense up that they're going to build a wall between them and the person that they love. Really, a boundary is communicating what you need to feel safe. Okay, you know what stat blows my mind? People in the U.S. take about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90%, 90% of their time indoors. And that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. I talked about this with a world-famous doctor friend years ago, and I was like, it is awful. What do I do? And she said, you need a high-quality air purifier, and you need to keep one in any room that you spend a ton of time in, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to Air Doctor. Air Doctor goes above and beyond the HEPA standard, which requires that 99.97% of particles at 0.3 microns be captured by a filter. Air Doctor uses an ultra-HEPA filter that was independently tested and proven to remove at least 99.99% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. That is 100 times smaller than the HEPA standard. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander. For any other pet parents who are allergic to their babies, this makes the biggest difference in my allergies with Bella. Highly recommend for that alone. This includes dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Also, if you live somewhere that is coming up on potential fires this summer, please, please, please get an air doctor so you have it ready. Breathing in smoke is awful for your lungs. And as somebody who lives in California, it gives me such peace of mind that I have my air doctor ready to go. We have a few, but if you are starting with one, keep it in the bedroom. That way you're breathing great air for at least a third of your life, and it'll help you get better sleep, which will have so many downstream positive effects. And as a little bonus extra, it has such a nice white noise sound. It actually helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you do not love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code LizMoody, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And this part is exclusive to Liz Moody podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Liz Moody. I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. 
every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to puri.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody. Were there other tools both in your relationship but also just with yourself that have helped you get to where you are now with your body? And where are you now with your body, would you say? To answer your first question, (laughs) and then I'll get into the second one, body neutrality was a huge pivot for me coming from a place of always feeling like I had to be pretty, always feeling like my body had to look good or whatnot, to really spend years in a place where I was shifting to just acceptance. This is my body today. I'm tired of being negative about it. I'm no longer going to praise it or prioritize it as the most important thing about me. This is just where we are. And I'm not going to stare in the mirror about what needs to be better or what could be fixed or what I like. That's hard. If you go into the what I like, you're welcoming the what I don't like. You can't have a positive without a negative. That's like the yin and the yang of life, right? If you really want to practice body neutrality, I was super disciplined about I'm not going to hype myself up and say I love this, I love that because then I'm welcoming that negative. So I'm just going to really be neutral. This is my body. I accept it for what it is. I'm grateful for what it does for me. And similar to your language, it is through what I experience my life with. It is an instrument. It is my greatest asset. It allows me to have a beating heart, to hug other people, to live on this earth. It's a beautiful thing, period. That's what I'm going to accept. Just hammering that. And I didn't take Instagram baddie pics where I would be conscious of my body. And I didn't post bikini photos. I really was just trying to like disconnect head from body. And I did that for a while. And it was so helpful. I think that's what I needed. Now I'm trying to reconnect with my body. I'm trying to feel sexy in my own skin. I'm trying to love my body and my boobs and my butt and my stomach and my legs. And I'm trying because I think in a perfect world, we do want to feel like we can be confident and one with our body. So now I'm at that place where I'm trying to navigate that. It's hard. It's interesting because I've started to welcome that back in. But every single day, I think about how my boobs don't look good enough. I feel like they need to be more voluptuous. I feel like they need to be higher. I feel like they need to be this, that. Every day I have a criticism about my boobs. And I hadn't had that before, but I think it's because I'm trying to look at myself naked and in lingerie and feel sexy. It's tough to welcome in this, I'm going to compliment myself, but then that means the negative is going to come. And then as far as social media, back to the having privilege, I don't want to lead a movement or be the sole voice of a movement that 
really, I already have so much privilege in. So I really pivoted away from that so that other voices and people in bodies who are far more oppressed than mine and have experiences that are different than mine can be the center of attention and they can get what they deserve there. I do want to create more body image content and I love sharing about intuitive eating. I'm just figuring it out. Do you ever have the urge to not press forward with loving your body because of what it brings up with the yin and the yang and the boobs and all of that stuff and just go back to like, well, I'll just stop with body neutrality? What's the advantage of trying to press towards this thing if it's making you feel worse in the interim? What are you trying to get to? Yeah, that's a good question. It's tough because I have confidence when it comes to talking in front of a a stadium of people. I have confidence when it comes to work. I have confidence in leading a group of people. I have confidence in so many arenas. I don't have confidence in the bedroom. I don't have confidence naked. I don't have confidence in sexual energy. And I do think that is holistic. I mean, that's such a good question, Liz. I guess because I felt disconnected from myself when I didn't have a connection to my body. And I think there are women out there who I see that in. And their bodies are not the standard body we've seen shoved down our throats our whole life. And they seem so confident and they have all this amazing energy and it flows through their entire body. And I feel like I'm stopping mine at my neck. And I think it's limiting me in the sense of wanting to be one with nature and one with the universe. I don't want to fight against my being. Did the boudoir shoot that you did help? It definitely helped a ton. But once again, when I'm then looking at those photos or I'm liking my body, it's so hard to not go back into the conditioning of, well, what's a body that we can like? What do you think about this? I'm so curious. Are you in a body neutrality space? Like, if you were being my therapist, what do you think the answer is here? I think that it's just a journey. And it's the kind of thing like so many things in life where we think we arrive at a place and then we're done. And I feel like our relationships with our body are just going to be this ongoing, lifelong relationship. And I think sometimes we're going to need to lean more into, oh my God, my boobs are fabulous and I want to shake them in everybody's face. And I love my boobs and I go through those phases quite often. But other times I really want to focus on hiking or the things that my body feels like. And other times I just am like, I want to talk about my brain. I want to talk about my thoughts. I actually don't really want to talk about how I look whatsoever. So I almost think maybe part of what you're experiencing is you've been in one phase of the journey and then you're going to be in another phase of the journey and then maybe you're going to be in another phase of the journey. And I think the phase you're in right now makes a lot of sense. You like just got married. You're this blossoming like woman in your life right now. I think it completely makes sense to be wanting to lean into the sexual side of yourself. Yeah. And as I think about it more right now, I feel like the eyes of other people in social media is also really hard for me because... Everything I do is basically online for the most part. I love it. I love wearing my heart on my sleeve. It's also I want to start to lean into my body more and accept it more. And then that would need to come through on social. I say need because that's how I am. And then I'm opening it up to the opinions and comments of others or for me feeling really good, possibly affecting another girl who's like, well, I want to look like that. I don't want to ever cause that for someone. It's weird. It's not like I live in a faraway state somewhere working a job in my small town and no one knows I exist and I can like wear whatever the hell that I want. I'm trying to get on this journey 
and also I have everyone watching. And if I wear a promiscuous top and I try to get my boobs out to feel sexy, there's dads who follow me because they want their daughters to be inspired. And I'm like, oh, my God. Or there's a male coach following me because I spoke at their school and he's following me. It sounds like also you're kind of trapped in this place of what you need for yourself and being perceived so, so largely and having that be a huge part of your life. You know more than anybody that you can't please everybody that is perceiving you at any moment in time. That's something else. I really have been blessed with this amazing community. And I always remind myself when I see other people who have like millions and millions and millions of followers, I'm like, Victoria, you do not want that. Even though it's easy to want that, I'm like, you do not want that because you have this amazing community who always uplifts you. And it would just be so hard to always have people shitting on me. I do have a lot of positivity. And I've gotten better at handling the negativity. It's still external validation. And I think it's always hard to go on the journey from external validation to internal validation. And it's infinitely harder when external validation is literally part of your everyday life and your job. Yeah, I've really been battling in my mind with giving myself permission to grow, change, and be who I am. And is that what the people want from me? Why am I thinking about altering my life and what I want to do and how to show up in the world because of what other people want from me? It's such a powerful, beautiful statement, but it's so intractably tied to your job at this point, too. It's a beautiful statement to say, oh, I shouldn't care about what other people want from me at all. I am my own person. I need to be allowed to grow and evolve. And that is 100% true. But it is also true that you are living a job where other people are going to tell you their opinions on you. So, of course, it's going to be hard for you to disentangle those things. It's crazy to put pressure on yourself to not feel that way. Yeah. And especially coming from this athletic background, that's where I started in this space. I was the volleyball player from USC. Now, I don't know how far you'd have to scroll to find a piece of content that is sports related. And I thought about that this morning. I'm like, oh my God, should I make an effort to post some more sports content to keep that content pillar hot, to keep that part of my shtick? And it's like, I don't play volleyball anymore. I struggle with wanting to give myself permission to step into my power and to put on an outfit that makes me feel hot as fuck and post it. But then is that out of my niche? And is that not what they're here for? I'm just really struggling with that. I'm trying not to get emotional about it. It's one of the scariest parts of social media is that social media wants people to be the same and people are mutable. By definition, by being humans on this planet, we are trying to grow and evolve and change. And social media doesn't like for that both algorithmically and for people the familiar feels good there's so many ways in our life where it just feels good to open a page and expect to see what you're going to see it's why we watch the same sitcoms it's why we're all re-watching the office and new girl change is scary and change is hard and if you think about how scary and hard changes on that individual level it's like everybody else is reflecting that feeling on you as well and you're carrying their fear of your change and growth and evolution as well mm-hmm. and i think saying it's hard enough just for me, I'm going to deal with it just for me, is part of the challenge. And I also have people immediately responding to my change. Every time I post a photo, I lose followers. I gain followers every day, and I lose followers every day. And that's everyone in this space. I don't look anymore. I mean, <laughs> I, like such a I, don't, I don't look anymore because I don't want to see it, but I know it happens. And sometimes you'll see your numbers 50 followers. And then the next day it's at 49. And you're like, okay, I know I lost people. Everything I do is being rated because I know what good engagement is in a number. I know what 
good comments are in a number. It's hard. And sometimes when I post really vulnerable things nowadays, I'll turn the likes off because I don't want to see what the engagement's going to be. Whenever my likes are off, that's because it hit for me. Whatever I posted, I've actually realized that I feel like I've gotten less shamelessly vulnerable. I used to just be so freaking like diary, everything on my mind. And I just realized I've kind of gone away from that because there are now more eyes and more comments and more opinions. And it's hard for me to like open up my heart and then have it be judged. And then I'm like, what the hell? That's getting me away from everything that I wanted to do in the first place. I completely agree. What has helped you the most to feel sexy? Like what's a few things that have helped you on that journey? I have thought a lot about how the people that I think in life are sexy and confident are the people who exude just that authentic belief in themselves. I used to think it was literally how this person looked. And now it couldn't be farther from the truth. I see beautiful people who have the worst energy or seem like they have no confidence in themselves. And I see other people who might not be the one that 10 out of 10 people are attracted to at a bar, but they have this thing when you're in a Starbucks or you're in a grocery store and you can see someone who just walks through life like they're the moment and they are the moment. When you believe you're the moment, you are the moment. And I just watched other people have confidence and I've seen strangers have confidence. It is just how you feel about yourself. It is literally up to me and how I walk into a room and how I feel about myself. If I'm confident and I have permission to feel sexy. On a very pragmatic level, how do you get that energy? How do you feel like you're the moment? It's believing like you're hot shit and telling yourself, I'm hot shit. I'm a bad bitch, which also I'm trying to be careful. I've gotten away from the language of I'm the hottest girl in the room. And it doesn't have to be specific to a body part. I'm also trying to figure out how to hype myself up without it being because I'm looking in a mirror right now or because I like this photo of me. It's just how I feel putting on an outfit that makes me feel hot, closing my eyes and like listening to a song and channeling. I'm sexy. But Liz, I don't like literally have the answer to that. I'm right here in the thick of it with the people listening who are like, I also don't know what to do. I think even acknowledging that is probably powerful for people because you do come off as very confident. And I think that knowing that people who come off in that confident way are still having their own struggles is really empowering unto itself. Yeah, that's why I was kind of separating confidence before because I'm confident enough to have this conversation for the world to hear. That's confidence. I'm confident in what I'm not confident about. I'm confident in sharing my insecurities. So I do have this base level of what I view as wearing my heart on my sleeve, but then I do struggle. But I also have to be proud of myself for being able to be so honest. It makes so much sense to me. And I also think it's a really beautiful sentiment that we're almost limited on a societal level in the ways that we define confidence. Like we define it in this one, almost like this extrovert who walks into the room, who owns almost this very masculine energy we have come to accept is confidence. And I actually think that there's so much confidence in vulnerability and wearing your heart on your sleeve and saying, I don't know, and saying, I'm working on this and saying, I'm trying. That takes such an incredible level of confidence. And I just think we need to catch up as society to acknowledge that that is confidence too. I completely agree with that. You mentioned intuitive eating. You're obviously very famous for your intuitive eating videos. I've eaten many a meal with you on social media. (laughs) I love that. Can you tell me how you found and discovered intuitive eating in your life? I discovered intuitive eating in college 
when my mom got me a book called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. And it was when I was working through having a binge eating disorder and how to overcome it. And my mom was Googling emotional eating and she found the book. That's very sweet that she was doing that. So sweet. And she also tried to lie to me and tell me she'd read it years ago and she just found it on her desk. And I was like, that's a lie. Um, (laughs) It's literally called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating, which is so embarrassing that I duct taped the cover of the book so that my teammates and no one could see what I was reading. And I just remember starting that book and feeling like it was literally about me. I think I read it in like two days. It was the first time I'd ever thought it's not about how many calories are in an egg white. Do you want an egg white? I think that's literally a sentence from the book. And I just had always been told, eat six meals a day. No, eat three meals a day. Eat this. Eat that. Stop eating after seven. No, stop eating after six. We read the magazines. We see the diets. It's all about being told what to eat. I'd literally never been instructed to close my eyes, take a deep breath and think, am I hungry right now? I know it's lunchtime but am I hungry? And then if I'm hungry, what sounds good? How do I want to feel when I eat the food? How do I want to feel after I'm done? I'd never had a mindful experience with food. It was always this thing that was literally used to help me achieve a look of my body. It was never fuel. That was the book that introduced me to the philosophy of intuitive eating. That book really changed my life. And then from there, I of course, learned more through finding other resources. And the book Intuitive Eating by Elise Resch and Evelyn Tribolet is phenomenal. And I think that's a great place to start. If anyone's wondering where to start, I would start with that book. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm a very black and white person. I'm very decisive in the things that I do and the things that I want. And because of that, I read this book and it rang such a bell for me that I was one of the rare cases of people who were able to dive in and flip that light bulb. Of course, I struggled in the few months doing it and figuring it out. But for the most part, I had a miraculous transition into this better relationship with food. The core part of intuitive eating is getting in touch with that inner voice inside of you that says, I'm hungry. This is what I want. This is what I crave. And like you've said, there are so many messages externally. We see billboards all the time. We are seeing commercials. We're hearing ads. We're flipping through magazines. We're looking on social media. There are so many messages about what we should and shouldn't be eating at any moment that I feel like sometimes that little voice inside of us is so tiny and so hard to hear. And we don't even realize how much we're being manipulated by those external messages. How do we listen to that little voice? How do we find it? You are exactly correct that we have ignored our voice. We've locked it up. We've never fed it. It's like literally scared of us. It's hiding in the back of our brain. Like, she's always been so mean to me, right? (laughs) And that's okay. We have to have compassion for ourselves. It makes perfect sense why we're struggling with this. And then we have to give ourselves a chance to find it again. And we have to do that with lots of patience and lots of compassion. And it's not always going to be perfect. We might think, okay, yeah, I listened to my body and I really want to eat this apple. And then you eat it and you're like, wait, I just finished the whole apple and it wasn't even good and it wasn't what I wanted. You're going to have a learning hump to go through. 
where you're going to have many successes and many failures and you're going to be up and down. If you zoom, zoom, zoom out all the way, it's going to trend upwards. But if you zoom all the way in, it's going to be up and down and up and down. And you have to have compassion and patience and love for yourself on those ups and downs. However many years I am into intuitive eating, genuinely feeling like an expert at it personally in my relationship with food, I still have times where I eat things And I'm done and I'm like, oh, why did I eat that? I was just so frantic. I didn't pause. I knew it wasn't even good. Now I feel sick to my stomach. I knew better. But you have to follow that with, okay, this has always been hard for me. I understand. I'm human. Humans are imperfect. What did I learn from this? Well, I learned that when I have a really busy day, I need to slow down and take a deep breath before I make my decision. That if I take my first two bites and it's not feeling good, to stop and think about it a little bit longer. And then three, make peace with this because I've learned from it and now next time I'll try to make a more mindful decision. We really just have to be kind with ourselves. And the other thing I'd say about helping this voice come up is it's developing that awareness with yourself and it is slowing down and listening to your thoughts. And you're gonna have those automatic thoughts of, you can't have that, it's too many calories. Or, oh my God, I can't believe you ate that. Or, we need to go on a diet tomorrow. I still have that over New Year's when I felt like I wasn't being very mindful. I was like, oh my God, okay, the minute I get home, we're going to be strict. And then I was like, oh, hey, hey, shaming voice. There you are. And that was my devil coming back because it wants to find any moment to come back. And I'm like, okay, I know where that voice is coming from, but I'm not going to listen to it because I know what path it leads me down. Instead, I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to know what I learned from this. And tomorrow I'm just going to be a bit more mindful. That's it. I'm not making these drastic changes. Like I said, I'm very black and white. So my go-to is, okay, no carbs. We're going on a workout. We're going to do this extreme thing. And I have to literally simmer myself down and be like, we're not going to be black and white. We're just going to have a more mindful, slow day tomorrow. I love that. If somebody listening wanted to kind of experiment with eating more intuitively or tap into that voice a little bit more, obviously check out the books that you mentioned. But is there a tip you could give them if they wanted to play around with something in their head today? The next time that you eat today, I want you to romanticize this experience. It's going to be you and the food in love. The best thing to do is to eat with no distraction, no phone, no TV just you sitting. That's the second guideline is let's sit, sit with no distractions and very slowly eat this food and think about how it feels when you eat it. Think about the taste, the texture, how it feels when you swallow, how it feels in your stomach. After you take the first three bites, set the food down, put your hands on your lap, take a deep breath, slow the experience down, be mindful, then continue to eat. Really try to have this mindful experience with the food. And the reason why I say put the food down and slow down comes from I was a compulsive eater. So I would just scarf it down, no thinking. So I always need to slow myself down and check in with my body because I was used to eating, start time, and then I don't wake up to reality until my plate is clear. So you're slowing down and allowing your body, okay, I'm going to let you tell me how we're feeling. Are we liking the food? Are we not? Are we full? Are we not? Do we want more? Are we feeling full? You have to give yourself that time and that space for that voice to have an opportunity to talk to you. I also think it's such a good argument for making our food taste really delicious, which obviously I've spent a huge chunk of my career doing. I love being like, you shouldn't eat vegetables because 
you're trying to eat vegetables and you're supposed to eat vegetables, you should eat vegetables because they taste phenomenal. And let's not prepare them in a way where you are chugging through them and you're just like, oh my God, I have to eat another carrot. You're like, oh, I have these like harissa covered carrots and they're so delicious and I just want to eat all of them. And I think that having any sort of impetus to have food be this really beautiful experience in your life is such a nice thing. We are allowed to love food. Someone told us that we're not allowed to enjoy eating. We're supposed to eat half the serving of a man next to us. We're supposed to eat like birds and we're not supposed to enjoy it. I love food. I literally live for food. I love to know what we're eating for dinner. I love food. And I used to feel insecure about that or like it was gross or it wasn't feminine. You're allowed to love food. And I think that's also part of recovery and healing your relationship with food is allowing yourself permission to enjoy eating. You're allowed to enjoy eating regardless of what your body looks like or what you ate prior. I completely agree. Okay. I want to touch on the filter thing for a second because you're famously anti-filter, which I love. If somebody listening was like, I would love to stop using filters. I can recognize it's distorted my image of myself, but I feel ugly when I don't put them on at this point. What would you tell them? If they're literally like, I feel ugly without a filter. That's serious, right? We want to look at that because you want to feel like you can show up in the world as yourself. So if you don't feel great without a filter, I think a healthy next step might be, okay, maybe I need some time away from posting photos of myself. I'm not going to make you go post a no selfie photo if you're not ready to do that. I don't want you to then have that out in the world and be feeling not good about yourself. But maybe we need to step away from this for a little bit to give ourselves time to look up into the world, enjoy our lives, reconnect, and then hopefully kind of come back with some more of that confidence to post something without as heavy as a filter. Maybe you just decrease it a little bit. Hopefully we can get all the way to no filter. When I was working through my body image issues, just being in photos was hard for me because I'd compare myself to the other girls in the photo. I'd look at my body immediately. So I didn't get in photos for a few months because that's a situation that's not going to help me as I heal my relationship with my body. I waited till I was at a point where I was like, I can get in the photo and I'm not going to run to the phone to see how it looks. And whoever posts it and tags me, that's what they do. You need to give yourself the time. If you genuinely do not feel like you can show up online without a filter, I would just encourage you to take some time away from the phone. And can you make an argument to us as to the benefits of not using filters? Each time we use a filter because we feel like we need it, we further empower that belief inside of us that we are not good enough without it and that we need this to show up in the world. I talk about that on my page every time I want to swipe to Paris. It is so easy. It is a millisecond with your thumb and you have this filter and you look a little bit more flawless. And I will have times I'm like, oh, I just want to swipe right. It looks so much better. I have to take a stance for myself, for other people that I am not going to swipe right because that is my fight back against why I can show up in the world as I am. Each time you use a filter, you're furthering that belief that you're not good enough without it. And we don't want to strengthen or empower that voice. My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort. And this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. 
Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I'm especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails, and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love, and Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all, and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages, and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at greatlakeswellness.com. That is Liz Moody for 25% off at greatlakeswellness.com. I have a product that is going to change your life. I've recommended this to so many people and they're all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask, and it feels like heaven, and you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works, and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you would like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. How does using a filter sit alongside other things that kind of say I need to tweak myself to appear in society. I'm thinking like dyeing your hair, using Botox, using makeup, all of these types of things. It's fun to say makeup is arts and crafts, but we do do so many things that change our appearance publicly. I could walk into a room without makeup and with makeup. I feel confident 100% with or without it. In this example, you said this is someone who feels ugly without the filter. So if someone is able to post photos without a filter and then they love to do a filter, all power to you. Live your life, girl. But if we're talking about in this context, someone who cannot show up online without filters, that's where if I could not show up anywhere without makeup, I would want to reevaluate how I feel about makeup. 
that's a really nice distinction. I heard on a podcast, I forget what podcast it was, that plastic surgeons are getting more requests for people to look like their filters. It used to be like, oh, I want Angelina Jolie's lips. And now people literally show up with a filtered version of themselves. And they're like, I want to be made to look like this. So scary. And it's so sad to think about that that is taking away from our ability to love what we actually look like. It, it's it's this false perception that's not even the gussied up, glammed up celebrity. It's like a different version of you, which is sadder and scarier to me, I think. For sure. And everyone's on their own journey. And I have friends and I follow people who always have a filter on. They always have Paris on. And that's fine. I don't think they should be in prison. I don't think they're bad people. There are people I follow who filter everything, but I love their content. I love who they are. Nowadays in society, people are like, you believe in diet culture and we can't be friends and you're a horrible person. Everyone is figuring it out. I don't have judgment or hate for people who are at a different place in their journey than me because that would have been unfair if when I was struggling and I was using filters and face tuning my body, people just wrote me off. I think those are the people that need the most love. They need the most compassion. I get it. I get it. I face tuned everything before I posted it. So I don't hate Khloe Kardashian. I wish she could see how beautiful that she is and that she didn't need to do that. I also just want to clarify and emphasize my heart goes out and I feel for the people who are in this position. I don't think they're bad people. We are in a society that has literally told women you have to look a certain way. So no shit you're feeling like you're not good enough if you are not X, Y, Z things. And it's trying to rewrite the script so that they can feel empowered to know that who they are is good enough. I used to use filters and I would say it's either like I'm going to put this filter on my face and feel good showing up to share the message or I'm not going to share my message at all because I'm not going to feel good enough about myself to share my message. Why should I have to come to terms with myself as a beautiful person in the society that's giving me all these messages just to feel like I can show up and share these things I would like to share with people? And I think that's a really tricky thing to balance. Everyone has their thing. I might have a day in my life where I want to emotionally eat. I want to have ice cream and I want to have popcorn because it was a long week. And no, I'm not hungry, but this is what I need. And if someone else, what they need is they want to throw on their filter do it. We all have our thing that harbor no judgment towards people who do that. And I think the reason why I'm so anti it on social media is because I am at a place in my life where that is something that I can do. And I want other people to know that my page is a place where there's never going to be filters or Photoshop, but I will sometimes emotionally eat. Everyone has their thing. And if people use filters, I don't condemn them or think they're promoting bad things. But I like the idea that if internally you feel like you need that always to step back and be like, why do I need it? And not even for you showing up for other people or what you're representing, literally just for you internally. I think it's important that we don't feel like we need to alter ourselves to be worthy of existing on this planet. So last, I want to talk about the Golden Globes because you went to the Golden Globes. And I think it's so interesting as somebody who's always lifting the veil on this glamour and beauty culture. What was it like to see all these celebrities in real life? I don't need you to name names and be like, these people don't look like how you think they look. But you did get to see how people really look. Everyone looks insane. I think what I would add is that there is a literal team of people around them. One is there for hair. One is there for makeup. One is there with water, hairpins, band-aid, anything that they might need. One is there telling them exactly what to do. So when you see these photos, not only are sometimes they filtered, but there are three people off to the side who placed every hair and eyelash in place right before the photo was taken. To me, I was like, whoa, just seeing them walk around with hair and makeup, like 
literally right there. I've even had to remind myself that when I look at Hailey Bieber's street style and I'm like, oh my God, she always looks freaking amazing. It's styled by Blink. They get styled to go to the grocery store, you know, because they know their picture is going to be taken. Yeah. And they wake up and there's this cute outfit hung up for them oh, and they I get to put it on. So bad. Right. I mean, that's dreams. <laughs> it's just remembering all the effort that goes into it. There's that whole team of hair and makeup right by. Maybe there's plastic surgery that's happened. There's the spray tan. There's the extension. There's the glam. When I was posting all about everything that I did, I got a spray tan. I got... You looked so good. Oh, thank you. you look, your like hair and makeup was on point. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I had my hair done. I got I had extensions and I got my makeup done and I had my dress on. I will say though, one of my goals, speaking of the no makeup thing, I literally will probably never get invited to the Golden Gloves again. So one time I wanted to go all out. But if I'm ever in a place in life where I'm going to a lot of carpets... I want to go to a carpet with no makeup on. Alicia Keys does that. I think she made a whole stance where she's like, I'm not going to wear makeup. Why should I have to wear makeup? I love that. I want to do that. I don't think I'm at a place in life where that would have the impact I want it to have. So I'm waiting time at a place where I can do it and it would have impact. <laughs> I think it's a really cool idea. And it's so fun, though, also, like you said, to get glammed. I think that is really fun, too. Did anything else surprise you about the experience of going to the Globes? You just kind of see everyone and you're like, everyone poops, like you said. Everyone sleeps. These are people, we live on this planet of millions of planets where there's definitely life out there. And we've all created professions. And there's one profession where people read scripts and they act out a story. And we've decided that that's going to be something that we love and it's glamorous. Then what they wear and what they say and what they do, we're obsessed with. And because we're obsessed with it, they get paid more. And you're just kind of like, wait, you're literally a person. You're a person with a chosen career. And we have, as a society, elevated that career above like being a teacher and that's what we've chosen to elevate at this moment in society. And it's also interesting that through different moments in society, we have completely elevated different careers. Right. Just being there reminded me again, wait, humble yourself, everyone. Did you like (laughs) go to the bathroom and like hear Megan Fox fart or anything? Oh my God. I don't think she was not there. Um, But I didn't have any juicy tea like that. Do you watch Ozark? No. Okay. Well, I saw Julia Garner. I love her. And I think I saw her giving her credential or something to someone to get into the ballroom. And I was just like, ah, a human. You just think they float in and appear at their seats. It's just funny to watch them walk around and get a water and be human. But no tea, sadly. (laughs) I really want to know the bathroom at the Met Ball. You know, it's like such a scene. And I just feel like the bathroom part's really fun. We didn't get to actually be in the ballroom. We were in a watching area. We were in a different bathroom. But I didn't overhear anything juicy. Okay. Do you want to leave us with two tips? One, what is one tip you have for learning to have a better relationship with your body? Something really actionable that somebody could do starting today. One tip I have for developing a better relationship with your body starting today would be taking a moment to be grateful for your body. Taking a moment to unconditionally be like, I have gratitude for this body Think about all the things your body has done to bring you to where you are, all of the things that has assisted and aided you in to be where you are. If you have legs that allow you to walk, if you have arms that allow you to hug, if you just have a beating heart that allows you to breathe the air on this earth, you can find gratitude for something that your body does for you. Take that moment and be genuine about it and even maybe put your hand on your heart and breathe deep. And that can have an immediate shift in how you feel about yourself. I love that. And then you have your amazing podcast, Real Pod, which we're about to record for right now. Is there a tip or trick or something that's really stuck out to you and changed your life since learning it on your podcast? Such a good question. I've learned so many amazing things from guests. I guess a quote that I'll share was from Dr. Varun Soni. He's the dean of religious life at USC and 
a sort of a mentor to me. And he said, happiness is not a place you arrive to. It is a state you cultivate. And I think about that all the time, that happiness is not somewhere we get when we get a promotion or where we get to be when we do X, Y, Z. It's a state that you cultivate. What's one thing you do to cultivate it every day? I try to slow down. I try to be still and be silent and take a moment to realize that this is the moment and this could be the best it ever gets for me. And I want to be cautious and mindful and aware of that. When I slow down, I get to breathe deep and soak in what I'm doing. I love that. And I so appreciate you taking the time to join me here today. Thank you, Liz. I hope you loved this episode with Victoria. If there's anyone that you know who you think would benefit from her tips about intuitive eating, her advice on navigating food and body image and relationships, or I don't know, somebody who just needs permission to be late more often, please share a link with them. And if you're new here, make sure that you're following the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen on. Just go to the main Healthier Together podcast page. It's the one that lists all of the Healthier Together episodes, and you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page on Apple Podcasts. That way, every single new episode will show up right in your feed, so you will never miss out on one, which is key because we have some incredible episodes coming up, including an episode all about the secrets to entrepreneurial success, our February advice episode, which is going to be very candid, very raw, very honest and open, and one of my favorite episodes that I have ever recorded all about how to become more confident. There are science-backed secrets to this. I didn't realize that there were technical, actionable things that we could do to increase our confidence. And I absolutely loved this interview and I cannot wait to share it with you. So make sure that you're following so you do not miss out. And don't forget to go listen to Victoria interview me on today's episode of RealPod. If I'm being completely honest, I have a little bit of a vulnerability hangover, but I feel like that always makes for the best episodes. So go listen. I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay. I love you. And I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. There is so much incredible science behind red light therapy. There's research going all the way back to 1903 that won a Danish physician a Nobel Prize for showing that exposure to concentrated red light accelerated physical healing. And research from NASA has shown that it boosts the production of growth factor proteins and collagen, among many other incredible things. I am obsessed with red light therapy. It is so science-supported, and I've personally seen huge, huge benefits. I use Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device, which is a red light panel, so I'm not limiting its benefits to my face. I feel like the masks are so popular right now, but I would like to expose my entire body to the red light. That way, it helps with not only my skin, my collagen production, but also increasing energy, decreasing pain, repairing cellular damage, improving mental health and cognitive function, and so much more. You are not spending that much more money to get a panel versus a mask, but you get a much more versatile device with way more powerful effects. Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device gives you professional-grade equipment straight at your home for the best price that I have seen anywhere. You can stand your Max panel on the floor on any flat surface, or you can hang it on the back of a door. It is really lightweight, and it is so easily stored away in the closet when you are done using it for the day. You only need 10 to 20 minutes, so Zach and I actually meditate in front of it naked, uh, but there's lots of ways that you can habit stack it into your routine, so you do whatever sounds good to you. 
Check out Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device now on bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code LizMoody at checkout. Bond Charge products are all HSA, FSA eligible, giving you tax-free savings of up to 40%. And for a limited time on top of that, my listeners will get 15% off when you order from bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code LizMoody at checkout. That is B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. You will also get free shipping and a 12-month warranty. Go now to get this exclusive offer that is bondcharge.com with promo code Liz Moody to get 15% off.